This is November 20th, 2005. We're discussing uh, Lesson 6 in Epistle to the Hebrews. And uh, in our discussion, we also uh, are making plans to skip a week and do Lesson 7. Rather than doing it next week, the 27th, we'll be doing it uh, the first Sunday, the 4th, I believe it is, of December, will be Lesson 7 discussion. So there'll be no, uh, there'll be no recording for next Sunday. Let's open in prayer. Our Father and our King, we thank you for the opportunity to spend uh, some time together around your word. We thank you that you have blessed us with your presence. Again and again, we are uh, overwhelmed with what you have done for us. And in this week's uh, uh, reading, Father, we have uh, been impressed with the vast uh, collection of information that you have given us about what... uh, Messiah has done for us, Father, and in detailing who he is and what, and what role and what titles he has. And we thank you for this. And we ask that you might uh, help us to be careful with the things that we say and careful in how we handle these deep truths. We pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. Baruch Hu Adonai Hamvorach Baruch Adonai Hamvorach Leolam Ba'ed Baruch Ata Adonai Elohim Melech HaOlam Asher Bakabanu Mikoh HaAmim Venatan Lanu Et Torato Baruch Ata Adonai Noten HaTorah Amen Bless Adonai who is blessed Bless Adonai, who is blessed forever. Blessed art thou, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who chose us from all the peoples and gave to us his Torah. Blessed art thou, Adonai, giver of the Torah. Amen. In our Lesson 6 discussion, uh, we're really kind of closing up the, the loop that we started with uh, Hebrews 1 and 2. So I had this uh, little piece of uh, text for you that I'll read to you. And... Uh, You can tell me what chapter and verses is found without looking at your outlines. And one portion of them shall look on the other, and they shall be terrified, and they shall be downcast of countenance, and pain shall seize them when they see that Son of Man sitting in the throne of His glory. And the kings and the mighty and all who possess the earth shall bless and glorify and extol Him who rules over all who was hidden. For from the beginning the Son of Man was hidden, and the utmost and the Most High preserved him in the presence of his might, and revealed him to the elect, and the congregation of the elect and the holy shall be sown, and all the elect shall stand before him on that day, and all the kings and the mighty and the exalted and those who rule the earth shall fall down before him on their faces and worship and set their hope upon that Son of Man, and petition him and supplicate for mercy at his hands. Someone who didn't look at their outline tell me what the reference in the scriptures that is from. Anybody? Well, yes, well, but it's not in the scriptures, yeah, unless you have an old King James or a Catholic version of the Bible. It's an apocryphal book, yes. This is from the, uh, from the book of Enoch, which is that's obviously suspect. It's written in Greek. No, I'm, I'm, I'm teasing, and the reason why I'm, I'm teasing is that's the way that it was treated, unfortunately, until the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, were discovered, which gave a validation not only to the book of Enoch's authenticity as a pre-first century document, but its authenticity also as something that should be paid attention to. The reason why, it's not because it's scripture, but the reason why is, just like we question Josephus, 
Well, are there things that he said that were redacted by the Christian church? Yes, there were. What was redacted? Who knows? We don't have a copy of Josephus that predates that point. That's the glory and the beauty of the Dead Sea Scrolls. is where we can find opportunities to find places before passages, before texts were redacted. When we say redacted, it's kind of like going over with a black pen that can never be seen again. Uh, the Talmud, it's... it's, it's it, it's, it's, its ability to show us uh, first century and earlier's view of God and the scriptures is, is, it fails in some regard because the Talmud was redacted by the church. Um, as, as a, it was a, you know, when they didn't burn it, they, they ripped pages out, you know, basically. Um, right. Anything that they thought was questionable, especially about, about, uh, Messiah or Yeshua specifically, or believers, they redacted, which gives us a, a false look, because we want to know those, I mean, there are ugly things. The Talmud is actually a very uh, hostile document towards Christianity. There are ugly things that are said within it. Well, we want to know, why is it that they said these things? What did they say? Because those would help us in determining and understanding this very period that we're looking at. There are very positive things as well. It, it, is, it is supportive of our faith for a number of reasons. One is because it's almost like you get vindicated by, by, uh, by accident. It, it's not supportive because it intends to be. It's supportive simply because it's people talking about Scripture. The parts that are redacted are the things that, that, of course, that are interesting to us in determining why it is that Judaism specifically is, is as hostile. We know why it's hostile now. Why was it as hostile then um, towards members within it? who are simply believers of Yeshua. So the book of Enoch has this history of it was redacted. So when it talks about the Son of Man or the Son of God, it can't be trusted. Um, What we understand now is that the book of Enoch, uh, at least parts of the book of Enoch, were present and revered as uh, not as scripture but but as sacred writings within the community at Qumran which gives us then this view that there's something that at least needs to be understood that the first century mind heard the words that Yeshua uses and did not treat them the same way that we might. The key phrase here in this passage is son of man. What does it mean? They understood if they had first if they had Enoch as a reference point, they understood this to be a messianic phrase. Okay. Enoch 62 yes. uh, you have to be careful Enoch is divided into four parts not all of them are as valid as other parts uh, Jude quotes either from Enoch 1 or they use the same source there's a direct quote for in Jude of uh, of the same thing that Enoch quotes. Second Peter does something very similar with talking about about um, the flood. Yeah, very similar. Uh, Dispute over the body of Moses is another is another apocryphal book that comes into uh, in Jude as well. Um, a quote from, or at least an allusion to. Don't, 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 that's not a basis for something to be canon or not, because Paul makes allusion to Greek poetry, so. Anyway. So, thorny issues. Uh, last week we saw how the technical and Hebraic, the first two chapters of the book are, but also we observed how they did Bible study. And one of the things that we discovered, and I, don't, I hope that you got this point, and if you didn't, I apologize. 
is that we are actually discovering, by the linking of these key words, we are discovering the thought uh, progress that the writer has as he's writing. In other words, as he's writing and he gets these key words and he's quoting from these passages in the Tanakh, they're leading into other passages in Tanakh that he then quotes. So it's, we're actually getting his pearls strung for him. We're actually following his thinking process, which to, be, to me, and as you, I hope you saw, is a far more por- powerful statement that's being made than is we simply get by reading the text of Hebrews 1 and 2. And, more importantly, the headings at the top of your English Bible that describe what Hebrews 1 and 2 are talking about. He's not just better than angels. He is better than angels. But that's not the point. He's not better than other messengers. He's the message sender. He's the one that sends the message. He's the one that conveys the message, which is exactly the point he's making in chapter 1. In days past, he spoke through messengers, apostles, or prophets, rather. All these are the same thing as we'd say angels would be, sent ones. And yet... Excuse me, not sent ones. Messengers. Sent ones are apostles. Um, and yet, how is it that we hear in these last days? Spoken directly. And it says, by his son. What is it to be the son? And that's what we want to look at this week, specifically. Titles for Messiah. Hebrews 1, 4 through 5, has a cross-reference to Psalm chapter 2. And actually, you can go to page 4 of your homework, and we'll follow pretty much closely along our homework passages here. And he says in Hebrews 1, 13... Actually, that's I'm on, not on page 40. Disregard that. Excuse me. It's page 38. He says in Hebrews 1, 4 through 5, having beca- excuse me, he or she says, having become so much better than the angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they have. For to which of the angels did he say at any time, you are my son? Okay, so what we hear immediately is, what is, what is son? Here, just without even looking at Psalms 2, what is son? He said he inherited a more excellent what? This is significant because the son of a king would have received an incredible amount of authority. And the word inherit is implying this is the heir to the throne. Excellent. Excellent. So, in this regard, son is not being used. It's being used as a name. Do you understand? We'll see here in a second how, how we can prove that to be true. But it's being used as a name. Uh, so he's, and, and what he's quoting is from Psalms 2. Let's read all of Psalms 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, against his Messiah, Mashiach, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh and the Lord shall hold them in derision. And he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me you are my son today I have begotten you what is he, what, he speaking to a baby today I have begotten you we need to remember this the way this is used ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance going back to what Joshua was speaking about an inheritance an heir and the ends of the earth for your possession you shall break them with a rod of iron and you shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel now therefore be wise O king be in, be in, kings be instructed you judges of the earth serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling kiss the son 
lest he be angry. Did I say that right? <coughs> and you perish in the way when, he, when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are those who put their trust in him. <coughs> what a powerful messianic psalm. And that's exactly what it is. And he draws on this, and this becomes his launching point as we've seen in the rest of the two chapters. In his discussion about who Messiah is. The next one he does in, in Hebrews 1 through 6. Actually, I think it's actually Hebrews 1 through 5 still. Yeah. And he quotes from 2 Samuel, where he says, And again, I will be to him a father, and he will be to me a son. 2 Samuel 7 is what he quotes for verses 12 through 14a. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set your seed after you, speaking to David, who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He will build a house. As we saw last week, this has multiple meanings. In this regard, it's talking specifically about that. The house being the temple, the temple itself that David had collected the materials for, but Solomon built. He will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be my son. Speaking of Solomon, but we understand that our writer of the Hebrews is saying, well, that's true, but there's something else that he was speaking of. Solomon is a picture. He is, in fact, a picture of someone far greater not merely the son of David, who would say to David, my Lord, speaking to his father, but some who is, we're going to get to Psalm 110, does exactly the reverse, which is the riddle that Yeshua uses in, in, uh, in, in Matthew chapter 20. We'll look at that here in a second. So this, this, this passage about Solomon and the building of a house, God immediately Immediately, David understands as well that it's not just the temple. Because in his description to Solomon later in Second Chronicles, telling Solomon why this is all going to happen, basically he recounts the thing. And then he also recounts that it means more than just you're going to build the temple. That he's going to build a house that is a family for his name. Well, he uses those covenant terms. Right? There's a covenant term, and he uses Lord God, which is the same thing that Abraham received. So it's a, he understands it to be a promise of a seed. The promise is the most important connection. David immediately hears, hears God's promise and identifies it as the same promise, essentially the same promise that has been made to Abraham. Okay? Um, so we saw in the first one, son, king, messiah, heir. In the second, we hear these titles, son, king, son of David, Thank you. And Son of God. Well, Son of God, does it say that? It says he will be to me a son. He will call me father. Yes, this is a title. The question becomes, and the error comes, and the problems come, when we look at this Son of God. And just so that I want to explain what you see in your paper and what you want to see on the screen. Ben Elohim, Ben Elohim, with a hey, is the way that you pronounce that. Ben Elohim is the way that you write it as a method of circumlocution. Okay. So like putting a dash in O on God or putting a dash in O on Lord. Elohim is a way of writing it. Whereas instead of spelling out Adonai, spelling, simply saying Hashem, these are circumlocutions. So when you see Elohim, you can know that I actually intend for you to read Elohim. Does, is Elohim actually a word? No, Elohim is not a word. No. Elokeinu is not a word, which is another circumlocution for our God. Yes. 
Did you get that? Do you understand? Yes. Sometimes, it, as opposed to just simply saying Hashem when, it, when the word Elohim is being used. It's an evasive synonym. That's a synonym. Synonym. Yeah, synonym. Evasive synonym. It's a spice thing. It's a spice thing. Okay, now here's, here's what I want you to get. And if you don't get anything else, excuse me, go ahead. Good. Bring him up. The radiance of his glory, the very image of his substance, upholding all things by the word of his power. That doesn't sound like the sun. That sounds like God himself. Exact, ac- excellent, excellent. And, and he's going to prove that point. I'm glad you brought it up. By the way, I'm, I'm only following the cross-references. If you guys have other titles that you discovered between the cross-references, speak up, because that's exactly right. He's proving the point of what he just said in verse 3. That's exactly right. That's where he's going. But what is it to be the Son of God? And this is, the, this is an issue whereby we have maybe not incorrect doctrine in Christianity, but maybe an inc- they're conveying oftentimes the wrong thing. To be the Son of God is not an ontological statement or title. Ontological is, what is he made of? Who, who is he? Who, what's his essence? To be the Son of God is not to be the offspring of God. Right? To be a created being. Do you understand the difference? My sons did not exist when I was a young man. They did not exist. To be the son of God is not to be one who follows, in chronological order, the Father. And to convey that, we have serious theological errors that arise from it. Number one is, a perfect example is Mary. She's the mother of God, right? Well, if God is the, God the Father is the father of, of Jesus, then Mary is the mother of Jesus. Well, she's the mother of God then, which is just a silly, silly statement. The reason it's a silly statement, not to not be disparaging to those who use it, the reason it's a silly statement is because of misunderstanding what it means to be the Son of God. He didn't have a beginning. To be the Son of God, he not, not, first of all, as, as is described in, in Matthew chapter, in Matthew chapter uh, um, was it 1, and also in Luke chapter 2, to be described, the Holy Spirit is the Father. It says she, that Mir- Miriam, Mary, is, 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 has, is conceived of the Holy Spirit. That is not what, he is the Son of God in that regard, without question, but that's not what's being described here. And that's not what's being described most of the time when he's called the Son of God. Certainly not in the Gospels. Never in the Gospels is that what it's being said. Never. The Gospels are never referring to the Son of God as being a statement that he is the offspring of the Almighty. Which okay? differs dramatically from most of the other gods. Correct. Bingo. You nailed it. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. He does not have offspring. He does not have multiples of himself. That's right. Where, where he has children. And, the, and then they, they might procreate as well. Now we do say the only begotten son. And that's certainly a, certainly a valid view of it. But lest we even go down that road, let's understand this is a title. Don't, don't misunderstand. We are going to talk about his, his deity, but not in the same regard as son. Well, the issue is a Western look at the word son. Exactly. And, and a Middle Eastern look at the word son. A Western look at the word son equates it to being a family member with a biological connection. But an East, Middle Eastern look at the word son is more a title emphasizing the significance of the person, their authority, 
the power that they do have as well as the power that they will have. Excellent. Excellent. Now, the title Son of David, is that an ontological statement as well? Yes. Is that a question of heredity as well? Yes. Which is going to get us to the riddle. Because is, that's the question. Is Son of David only a matter of who's your daddy? You see, Son of God is not a matter of who's your daddy. Was it? Could it be a matter? Yes. There's no question. Miriam, Mary, was in fact conceived Yeshua as of the Holy Spirit. He's the father, as it were. Biological. But that's not the question that's being brought up with regard to this title of Son of God. If it was, it would be fracturous to an understanding in the first century. They'd be going, what, are, are we Greeks now? Just like, just like Joseph was talking about. Are we Greeks now? We have, we have a pantheon of gods? What's up with this? Okay. So it's a messianic title. That's the way it's being treated here. Let me show you why. Let's go to let's go to the let's go to Matthew chapter twenty, and this this will take us a little while to go through. I hope it'll be uh, beneficial. Uh, you've probably heard some of this before. You may have done it all before, uh, but not everybody that's participating has. So let's go to Matthew chapter twenty and go through this process because it will help us to understand the significance and actually what's being claimed by being son of God is in fact a statement. Now, one of the things that 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 are detractors will often say is well well, Yeshua never claimed to be God show me where he claimed to be God and, and one of the problems with, that, with their thinking is they think as many do is that and actually the, the short answer that a lot of people will give them well he says he's son of God well that's not the same thing actually but we'll see that is the way to, to derive what, what you want to say the problem is we're using language, as we've discussed, and concepts that we've discussed that are, that are Middle Eastern, and yet we're using language that's English, and it does not yet adequately convey what we're trying to do. Just like I put Elohim up there. We will dance all around this subject, just like Yeshua did, without actually coming out and saying it. Why? Just like we say Hashem and not try and pronounce it. But there's a reason why. It's, it's to revere who we're speaking of. Yeshua, in most of the things that he said, he was, he was opening himself up to be understood by those who wanted to be. That's true. And he was also more than willing to hide himself from those who didn't want to hear. That's true. So the irony is that the term Son of God, in some ways, is a less deifying term it is. Son of Man is because it's you're right that's exactly right and we're going to look at it in a second in, in, in Daniel 7 as well look at Matthew 20 29 through ni- uh, 21 9 this is to set you up this is the last week of Yeshua's uh, earthly ministry uh, now, it, now as they went out of Jericho a great multitude followed him this is by the way coming up for Passover this is the, this is the normal route for those who have come down from the Galilee uh, to come to Jerusalem by way of Jericho, coming down the river valley, by way of Jericho, to make the ascension to Jerusalem. And behold, two blind men, that way you could avoid Samaria. Uh, behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard Yeshua was passing by, cried, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. Well, what were they saying when they say Son of David? It wasn't a polite way of speaking to one another. They're all sons of David if they're from the tribe of Judah. Well, they may not all be, but there's probably a lot of them. That's not what they're saying. And the multiple warned them and shouted, Quiet, 
You have cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. So Yeshua stood still and called out to them, Why do you want me to do what, what do you want me to do for uh, do to you? They said, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Yeshua had compassion and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to uh, Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Yeshua sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied in a colt. Loose them, bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled which, the, which was spoken by the prophet saying Tell the daughter of Zion Behold your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey a colt the foal of a donkey So the disciples went and did as Yeshua commanded them They brought the donkey the colt laid their coats on them and set him on them And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the, on the road Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out saying Hoshiana to the son of David Ben David Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord Hoshiana in the highest And this idea of Hosanna has not a it's not a like it's, I've heard it described praise <laughs> yeah. Hosanna <laughs> Like he could say it without it meaning something it comes from Psalm 118 and it's actually it's a it's a it's a call for God to save them. And who is it that they're saying to save us? Psalm 118 is actually a, is, is, a, is the end of the Hallel, which is what they would have been singing in these songs of ascent going up for Jerusalem. And here, they, here it is at Passover time, it is as it's used now in the synagogue. And, and here it is, they're, they're, they're calling for salvation. The son of David. From the son of David. So... And what is it that the Pharisees say? Well, stop it. Do you hear what they're saying? Verse 14. Then the blind and the lame came into the temple and he healed them. When the chief priests and the scribes, excuse me, I said Pharisees, saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple saying, Hoshiana to the son of David. They were indignant and said to him, Do you hear what they're saying? And Yeshua said to them, Yes. Have you never heard out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? Now stop there. What does it mean to be son of David based on what we've seen already in Hebrews and the cross-references, that title? He is Mashiach. He is the Messiah. Period. End of discussion. The people that are crying out, they're settled on it. Okay, we didn't know. Now we know this guy's Messiah. Why would these scribes and... Or chief priests and scribes be so upset? Because other people had claimed to be Messiah before. And as it, it doesn't, this does not work out well for us. But why would they be upset if it didn't mean Messiah? Oh, exactly. Bingo. Exactly. They know. Is that the second time I said that? Yes. Yeah. It's a, well, it's, a, it's, it's the Catholic theme, you know, the... I'm teasing. <laughs> No, that was not bashing. That was very, very encouraging. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Significance, though, is Hoshiana is an incredibly intense phrase. You do not, for the most part, ask for other people to save you. Well, you might ask for someone to save you who has the ability to save you from a, a threat that is coming. Look, this guy's about to beat me up. Save me. 
but it's a term that, with the exception of poli- potentially requesting for political salvation from the Romans, the only other way you could use it is that this is a very messianic term. It's, it means like it's, not an es- it's not necessarily an eternal salvation. If you read the Hallel, it's not necessarily eternal salvation, yet it is a messianic salvation. And however it is the Messiah can save us, that's what we want. Even if it is physical, it's still eternal. That's right. It's messianic, regardless. I think you mentioned two weeks ago. They were yelling this as they were pulling them out of the Gaza Strip. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Now, now's a good time to come. <laughs> this will be, be a good time. This will be a good time. Go, skip down to verse 23 and, uh, uh, 23 and 32. This is, a, this is a marvelous description of what we have been looking at in Acts in this contest between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The same day the Sadducees, who said there is no resurrection, came to and asked, Teacher, Moses said that if a man dies, having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up an offspring for, for his brother. The Sadducees do not deny this, by the way. They are... They believe in the literal word of Moses, five books only. Now, there were with us seven brothers. Having died, uh, the first died, he had married, having no offspring, let his wife, uh, left his wife to his brother, likewise the second also, and the third even to the seventh. Last of all, the women died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had her. Jesus, uh, Yeshua answered and said to him, You are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. Wow. He's like, This is it. I'm going to settle this issue for once and for all. You Sadducees are full of it. There it is. Yeah, uh, seriously, this is exactly what's happening. He's, he's put a stop to it. Okay? He's come down on, again, but within very stark terms, he's come down on the opposite side. He says, In the resurrection, neither. Uh, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the <laughs> but are like the angels of God in heaven. What he's done is he just slapped them a second time. The angels? There are no angels to a Sadducee. <laughs> he slapped them again. He's like he's going to tell you this, and this is the way that it is. And wh- now think about who's who's watching this. They're all going, who? He's not a Sadducee. He must be a. Pharisee. You must be on our side. Oh, wait, it's coming back. <laughs> but concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. This is such a Hebraic answer. It is, in fact, the, the question that answers the question. Right? How is it possible that he can be the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, who did not live concurrently. Right? That's the question. And, and the answer is, because he's, because there's a resurrection. It's still current. I am. That's right. right now. The key is that, that quoting from in a number of places, but including when God speaks to Moses from the burning bush, which of course is a passage that had to see for the accepted wholeheartedly. Exactly. Exactly. So he's, he is, he is, he is, he's basically, he's embarrassed them greatly. I shouldn't have said slap, because his intentions are never to simply embarrass people. But he certainly has brought them up short and showed their theology to be lacking. Okay? When the multiples heard this, they were astounded at his teaching. I was like, this is amazing. We have, a, we have somebody we have simply been calling out. He's Messiah. And now, guess what? He's not only Messiah, he's one of the popular guys. He's, he's from the Pharisees, the good guys. Right? That's the way they saw them. We, we, we see Pharisees unfairly today. In the first century, they would have seen the Pharisees as the, as the good guys. They're a little strict, but they're the good guys. 
kind of like Amish, you know. You don't want to live like an Amish person, but wow, aren't Amish cool? <laughs> but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Now, you think a Pharisee is going, this is excellent. He's one of us. No. Some did not feel that way. Some did, but some did not. And here's what we're talking about. Then one of them said, a lawyer saying, asked him a question, testing him, saying, what's the purpose of this test? In the, other, in the other Gospels, it tells us the purpose of this test is to trap them. This is not a, 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 this is not a good test. Okay? The test that they're going to give him is, in fact, the test that every good Pharisee can answer correctly. And guess the answer he gives him. Was it, was it a Pharisee answer? Yes. Because the, answer, the Pharisee answer is the correct answer. Listen, the way that he answers them is exactly the way that these people, these Pharisees, uh, who had asked the question to t- trap him, whether they came from the house of Shammai or the house of Hillel, would have understood this is the way that it is. Okay? Because they could quote their master saying the same thing. Yeshua said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, quoting from Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 11. On these two commandments hang all the Torah and the prophets. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, Okay, now in the other Gospels it records that they go away all bad. Right? And actually we see in chapter 23, he immediately takes them on in a great polemic speaking about not their theology, as he did with the Sadducees. He doesn't pick on their theology. He picks on the way that some of them don't live, like they say. He starts out in chapter 23 at the beginning saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not do according to their works, for they say and they do not do. In other words, they don't do what they say. Otherwise, you could follow their example. Now, I know that's not the popular way of describing Pharisees, but that's exactly right. We don't usually hear, listen, we should live lives to be like Pharisees. We just simply shouldn't. These, these, these bad Pharisees he's speaking of here, not all, because we know that Nachimon, we know Joseph of Arimathea are both, Nicodemus and Arimathea are both Pharisees. We know that they're Pharisees believers from Acts chapter 15. Although we don't like necessarily what they're saying, we know they're believers. We know that, we know that, we know that Yaakov is considered a Pharisee by the Pharisees, whether he considered himself that or not. We know that Paul considers himself a Pharisee until the day he dies. So we know that the Pharisees' theology is not flawed. What's flawed is in some of their actions. They didn't live it. They're hypocrites. That's why the word means hypocrite in modern English, even though it doesn't then. But let's go back up to what he turns to them and gives them this riddle, because this is what I was focusing on. While you, this is chapter uh, 22, verse 41. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Yeshua asked them, saying, What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? They answered. They didn't even have to hesitate. Listen, they answered. Son of David. By the way, it would not have been wrong, and we would not be surprised if they had answered, Son of Man. Okay? Based on what we saw in Enoch, that's exact, that would be an accurate answer. Okay? Well, Jesus used that to refer to himself. Absolutely. And we're gonna, we know why now. He's not doing it to be like Ezekiel. 
Look, I'm going to go right to Daniel 7 when we finish this. Good. And he said to them, How then does David in the spirit, by the way, he's saying, okay, I'm not going to give you, I will not accept the answer that David was, we're simply quoting David's words and David's words were mistaken, that David's words were the truth. Do you understand how that is? We can read scripture of what someone says that might the, the, what they say may be a lie, a quote of what they may be a lie. For instance, uh, we can hear uh, what Rahab said. What Ananias said. Exactly. So, so Lord. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we're reading. He's he's not going to let them fall back on that. Saying no, he said, but this is the truth. What he said. How then does David in the Spirit call him Lord? And then he quotes from Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? Solomon would call him Lord. So he's not speaking about Solomon. They knew the answer to this, by the way. They did. The riddle was not a riddle for them to solve. The riddle was a statement of who he was. Because they had been... He's coming down the hill from, from Bethpage. He's coming down the hill, riding on a donkey. What are they saying? Son of David. Hoshiana, son of David, son of David. He's in the temple. And everybody's saying, son of David, son of David. And then he brings this up. What is he saying? He brings up Psalms 110, which is a... I mean, it's, it's the most quoted psalms in... It's the most quoted passage found in the apostolic scriptures. It's used again and again and again for this reason. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one is able to answer him a word, nor from that day on, on did anyone dare question him anymore. This is, this is three day, four days possibly before uh, the crucifixion. Okay? So... Son of God, what does it mean? It's a title. Uh, he's making a specific, and this is, by the way, repeated. If you want to know, anytime the Gospels repeat things, it's always significant. But anytime the Gospels repeat it, it's something that all of, the, all of the Gospel writers felt was important to include for a reason. Uh, so when you see it in three Gospels exactly like this, it, and, and there, in the other Gospels it has a little bit more uh, uh, contest between the Pharisees and Yeshua. But uh, he's making the outright statement he was Messiah, he's Mashiach. Go back to uh, Matthew 16, 16. You can see... He does. In Acts chapter 2, Peter uses it in his sermon. Acts 16, 16, or excuse me, Matthew 16, 16. He says... Yeshua asks, Who do you say that I am in verse 15? And Simon Peter in verse 16 answered and said, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. The Son of the living God. Well, was he saying that God has offspring? No. Where would he come up with that? In all of his understanding of Scripture, where would he possibly come up with that? Only from the things that we've been looking at in the Psalms. My Son. Kiss the son, lest he be angry. Who's the son? They understand. This is a title for Messiah. Now go to Matthew, Matthew 26, 62. This is the clincher. This is where we see the blasphemy 
as it were. It also goes to the significance of the actual meaning of Messiah. Messiah means anointed one. It is a term referring to royalty. There's many Messiahs, right. There's a mess- every king's a Messiah. David says Saul is a Messiah. Exactly. Exactly. Everyone that's anointed, every high priest is a Messiah in that regard. But he's not the Messiah. This is the big one. Here's the key. When you when you look at when you look at Zechariah's promises, or the promises made in Zechariah and other places as well, but you look at the idea that and we're going to look at this further in Hebrews, of the of the throne of Israel and the high priesthood of Israel residing in a single person, it's an impossibility except by God's way of doing it. Which is part of what we're going towards in this, is examining how can he be Messiah, the Messiah, and be king and high priest at once. Look at what, uh, look at what the high priest does in Acts chapter, or excuse me, Matthew 20, 26, 62. It says in verse 62, it says, uh, uh, And a high priest arose, this is Yeshua's trial, and said to him, Do you answer nothing what is, it, what is it these men testify against you? These are the false witnesses that are testifying against him. Yeshua remained, kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. What? By the living God? Isn't that the same phrase that, that Peter used? Okay, listen, follow this. By the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Listen. This man, corrupt as he was... Not all high priests are corrupt, but this one was. As corrupt as he was, he would not have uttered the phrase if that was the blasphemy that he was going to charge. Listen. When did Yeshua claim to be Son of God here? He hasn't said it once. Not outright. He hasn't said it. What does he has said? Listen. Yeshua said to him, It is as you said. What did he just claim? He claimed to be Messiah. I am the Messiah. Find that, by the way, anywhere. People who have a problem with, you know, tell me where Jesus said he was God. Your answer can be, show me where he said he was Messiah. He does, but not that way. It is as you said. Nevertheless, now pay attention. I say to you, hereafter, you will see the Son of Man, bingo, another, another, Allusion to Messiah, a title, sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Yeshua just spoke of God sitting in the heavens and yet said the power. Why? Circumlocution. Circumlocution. Yeshua uses it a lot. Avinu Bashamayim, our Father in heaven. In his addressing the Almighty, he often uses. Circumlocution. A, what do they call it? It's. Evasive, evasive cinnamon. cinnamon. <laughs> An evasive cinnamon. <laughs> Coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look now. You have heard his blasphemy. What was the blasphemy? It was not the claim that he was Messiah. It was the claim that Messiah is something more than simply a king of Israel. That's the key. It's not the claim of being son of God. That's a messianic title. There's something more. Go to Daniel chapter 7 and we'll see why. Now, I, I recognize, I, I want to be, be fair. I don't want to be unfair to 
to people who misunderstand this. I recognize it's a whole lot easier to say, well, look, he's just God's son, and just that, that's, that's his claim to deity, and let's just settle it. I, I understand that's easy. This is more difficult, because you actually have to talk about idioms and titles and such and explain it. You've got to go in, in a little bit deeper. It's easier just to come up with an ontological statement, well, he's God's son, and that's what makes him God. You know, and unfortunately, I don't. In my mind, uh, since the scripture doesn't do that, I think it's error, an, an error to go there because it, it gets us in trouble in other places. But look at Daniel chapter seven, verse twenty-three. Actually, let's skip down to verse. Uh, um, what about thirteen? Oh, now we can skip it. Or read it all. I mean, come on. Yeah, thirteen. Uh, yes, that's what I wanted. Yes, I was watching in the night vision. Behold, one like the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days and they brought him near before him. Then he, he then to him who was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. He shall not pass away in his kingdom. And his kingdom, the one which shall, which shall not in his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. This is what Enoch 1.62 is making a reference to. This event. What Yeshua is making a reference to here in Matthew 26 is this very event. Because he uses the phrase Son of Man. He's just brought Son of Man, Son of God, Messiah, under a single title, and he's the one. He's saying, the Ancient of Days is going to, I am going to come up to the Ancient of Days, the, the power on high. And the Ancient of Days, uh, excuse me, he came to the Ancient of Days and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. He's making a claim of equality. The right hand is the claim of equality. What is the claim of a son? Now, let's go back to the ontological idea of a son. What is a son in, in ancient Near Eastern view? A son is the same thing as the father. Period. My son represents me. Period. If my son speaks it, it's what I say. Exactly. Uh, in many cultures it is. That's why the seriousness of having a son. I need someone to be me into the future. It is the shooting of arrows far into the distant future. That's exactly what we're talking about. I, have so, I want to exist. To be eternal, in the, in, the, in the pagan mind, to be eternal, I must have sons to carry on who I am. Unless there's somehow you miss the significance of the Son of Man receiving an eternal kingdom is huge because earlier in Daniel, Daniel has a vision that we all know about the statue. And the only kingdom that exists forever is the kingdom of, of God, God himself. Which is what we saw last week when we saw this throne. The reason why the throne of Messiah is called eternal, or why that is significant to us, is it is a, it is a statement of the divinity of Messiah. So, we can explain Son of God in ontological terms, but we don't get the whole picture if we just do. He's more than simply an offspring of the Almighty. He is the right, at the right hand, which is exactly... Yeshua uses this opportunity to settle it and say it outright. By the way, he's speaking to, to two or three witnesses. This is, even though this may be an invalid trial, this is a valid statement. It's been witnessed. 
by members of the Sanhedrin. This is, by, this is a court document. This is stamped and sealed. He has said it. What has he said? He has said, I am the Messiah, and I sit at the right hand of the power on high. And he didn't come right out and say it. But the same reason why he doesn't use circum, he uses circumlocution, that's why. It is an ultimate respect for the very name of God. It's powerful. It is a it is a powerful statement of who he is, which is where the exactly why our writer of the book of Hebrews is drawing upon these same passages. He's trying to make this very same point. Lest anybody be confused. We're not talking about a messenger. We're not talking about a Messiah to save us from Rome. We're not talking about a Messiah who will set up a kingdom that will last for a thousand years. We're talking about somebody far more. He's the Son. What does it mean when I say He's the Son? It means He's the he's King Messiah who is in fact more than simply an offspring. Let's keep reading. Let's go through our cross-references some more here. Hebrews 1.6 And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. Ah, oh, here we go. It's a ontological statement, right? You see, do you understand? This is part of the problem. When you read Hebrews chapter 1, you overlay it with Colossians. Well, you have to use Colossians 1 to explain away what you think Hebrews 1 might be misunderstood. He's the firstborn over creation. Well, there you go. He's a created being. And yet, if you follow the writer's cross-references, he makes exactly the opposite claim. Again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. And he quotes from Deuteronomy 32. Rejoice, you heavens, with him, all you angels of God. Worship him. Rejoice, you Gentiles, with those people. All the sons of God strengthen themselves in him. We'll continue the rest here in a moment. So, he's worshipped by angels. In this we also see... Let all the sons of God strengthen themselves in him, for he will avenge the blood of his sons, and will render vengeance and recompense justice to his enemies, and reward them that hate him. By the way, Isaiah speaks of this, and tells us that there is only one judge. And there is only one avenger. And there is only one savior. And his name is Hashem. Exactly. He's the judge of all the earth. Exactly. That's he's it. Judge. That's right. So he's judge. He's avenger. He's judge. Messiah is judge and avenger. That's what he just said in Hebrews one six by quoting from Deuteronomy. Hebrews one eight and nine. But of the Son he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Of the Son he says, Your throne, O God? What has he just said there? He's quoting from Psalms 45, which says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The Hebrews writer has made a leap that Psalms 45 does not make. The Hebrews writer has just applied Psalms 45 to Yeshua. In so doing, he has made the same claim that Yeshua has made. He says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you, Messiah, with the oil of gladness more than your companions. God, your God? Just in phraseology. These are difficult words even in Hebrew. 
Whose throne is it? It's God's throne. He's given it. He's given it to Messiah. Yes. How's that? How's that possible? Now, how long does this throne last? It's an everlasting throne. We're going to see this everlasting thing is an important point when we get to the high priesthood as well. Uh, and he's seated at God's throne. He's the eternal King in this passage, Psalm forty-five. He is God. Psalms one hundred two. He quotes from Psalms 102 here as well. Go to Psalms 102 and he says, The prayer of afflicted man. Of you, of old, you laid the foundations of the earth. The heavens are the work of your hand. Yes, they will perish, but you will endure. Yes, they will grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will, uh, like a cloak, you will change them. And they will be changed, but you are the same. He's the only, who, what changes? What doesn't change? There's only one thing that doesn't change. Same today. Your years will have no end. This is not simply Messiah, a ruler over Israel for a thousand years. This is the Messiah, Ben Elohim. The children of your servants will continue and their descendants will be established before you. He is forever and ever. He is Olam Vayed. He is forever and ever. It's actually a title, Olam Vayed. He is the forever and ever. Eternal. Psalms exactly, and it actually, if you read, if you read, if you read extant texts, the eternal one is actually a, a title used often. The holy one, Hakadosh Baruch Hu, you know, blessed, uh, um, um, the holy one, blessed be He. Psalms one hundred four. He ties all these together in this one place. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord, my God. You are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty. You cover yourself with light as a garment. You stretch out the heavens in a curtain. He who lay, lays the beams of his upper chambers in the waters, he who makes the clouds his chariot, who walks on the wings of the wind, who makes his angels, spirits, his ministers, flames of fire. Actually, that's tied to one verse 7 and also verse 10 through 12. So I got ahead of myself. Psalms 104 speaks of him being a creator. Hebrews 1.10. Yeah, it's in the next one. It's, it's, in the, it's in Psalms 110, and I skipped that, actually. I don't know why I skipped that. Anyway, your ears will not fail. Did you all see that? Psalms 110, I missed that in the outline. Psalms 110, quotes from Psalms 104, excuse me, Hebrews 110 through 12. It's quotes from Psalms 104, 1 through 4. This is a claim of Creator, which is actually what Colossians 1 tells us. He is the Creator. Your years without fail is also a very divine term. Um, in like in the, in the traditional psalm, Adam alone, I suggest that he is without end. Um, That's right. Ancient of days. Ancient of days. A very significant term. Absolutely. Now, I want you to understand something really, really quickly here. These things that we're saying are not in and of themselves offensive to ancient Judaism. Understand that. These, these are not blasphemous statements. Equality with God was not a problem necessarily for Messiah. It's that Yeshua claimed both to be Messiah and have an equality with God. A God. Yes. That was the problem. I can see you. That's blasphemy. You understand? Okay, in the concept of a Messiah, maybe. But not the one I can see. I know your mom. You can't be. Exactly. That. You understand? It's the, it's the humanity of Messiah that caused them the greatest theological consternation. As it would today. Exactly the same. How is it possible for the infinite to be contained in the finite? It's impossible. And it's blasphemy to claim it. And yet they're very, the very sages would say, it's written in the Talmud. 
the Almighty, any time he presents himself to man in any way, must humble himself. Which is what we read in, in, in Philippians chapter 2. Hebrews 13 through 14. This is a cross-reference from chat, Psalms 110. And we're going to get lots of Psalms 110 in this book. Tons. Oh, of which of the angels is he told any time? Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool and feet. And he quotes from Psalm 10 where it says, The Lord said to my Lord, which is the quote that Yeshua used, Sit at my right hand until I make my enemies your footstool. Let's read all of what Yeshua was referring to. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power. In the beauties of holiness, from the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. What has he just told the high priest of Israel? I'm a different kind of priest. I'm a different kind of priest than you are. By the way, I'm king too. <laughs> The Lord is at your right hand. He shall ex- execute kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the nations. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall execute the heads of many countries. He shall drink of the brook of the wayside. Therefore, he shall lift up the head. This is another title, the lifter of the head. Look at this. He's at the right hand as well. He said, sit at my right hand. You'd think that you'd think the high priest. By the way, this is you know where the high priest asked this question, right? You know why he asked the question? It's got back to him that he'd made, that he'd offered this riddle. The whole place was talking about it. Did you hear the riddle he asked? I mean, come on, what's he saying? Give me a break. So the high priest asked him straight up. Okay, let's get let's get away with all the nonsense. Your riddle was telling us exactly who you are. Is that what you really said? And he says, it's as you said. He's like, oh. That's it. And he says, not only that, you remember the rest of Psalms 1, at your right, that's me, at your right. <laughs> now, I, 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 lest, lest I be accused of being disrespectful, he was not in any way disrespectful. And yet, he makes statements that are just bold statements here. By using Psalms 110, applying to himself, he's making a, boy, he's drawing a line in the sand that cannot be crossed without faith. The He's the priest in the order of Melchizedek. He is the right hand. This is exactly why the Kohen Gadol, <laughs> Kohen Gadol says blasphemy. He is the lifter of the head, which is a powerful, powerful statement. He's the lifter of the head. He names people. To lift someone's head is to, is to place a purpose upon them. I lift your head. If I, I lift my son's head. I, I place purpose upon them. That's exactly what it is. He's the lifter of the head. Hebrews 2.12. We're almost done. And by the way, your book says Hebrews 12.12. I hope you didn't chase that rabbit. He's saying, I will, declare, I will declare in your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praises. Psalms 22 is another one. It's like it never stops. When you read all of these cross-references, it's like it never stops with its overwhelming messianic picture. I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and fear him. All you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised or abhorred the afflicted. Of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard, My praise shall be of you in the great assembly. I will pay my vows before those who fear him. This is quoting again, making an an allusion back to Psalms 102, the prayer of the afflicted man. Is it, is it, 
this, this messianic statement that is he, he's the afflicted man, that he's a brother, are these, are these difficult? No. In fact, that's just like what we were speaking, they understood that Messiah was going to be an afflicted man as well. The sages talk about it. Specifically, they say, what is his name? He is, he is the leper messiah. Why is he a leper messiah? I never get that from scripture. Why is he a leper messiah? He says, because he bore all diseases. And diseases given by God, leprosy being a disease given by God, they would have said, a disease given by God can only be cured by God. So therefore, he bore our diseases. Isaiah 53. Those who believe that Jews don't read Isaiah 53 are mistaken. They see it as a messianic psalm. Or, excuse me, as a messianic passage. They just don't see it as applying to Yeshua. Some. He's a brother. He's a father. Psalms 8. Go to Hebrews uh, 2.16. says... uh, Sorry? No, 13 and 16. I will declare your name... Yes. Did I skip it? I will declare your name and my, uh, to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praises at the top of page 41. Again, I will put my trust in him. Remember we heard that at the very beginning of this? One to whom people should put their trust in? I will put my trust in him. Again, behold, I am here with the children of God, children whom God has given me. Remember, he doesn't just come by himself as ruler to lay down all these these kings who, of the world who have, who have blasphemed. No, he comes with, as, as Jude speaks of, and as Enoch speaks of, with ten thousands of his holy ones. He comes with his children, those who he redeemed. And then verse 16 says, For most certainly he does not help give help to angels. Remember we spoke of the fact that uh, salvation has no benefit to angels. They, they long to look into it. But it has no benefit to them. But he gives help to the seed of Abraham. So he is, he, is, uh, he, is a fa- he is a seed of Abraham. He's father. Actually, he's father. Isaiah 41 is quoted. Actually, let me read Isaiah 8 as well. Which, which is quoted in, in Hebrews uh, 2.13. And one shall say, I will wait for God, who has turned away his face from the house of Jacob. I will trust in him. Who, who is it that we should put our trust in? Should we trust in men? Scriptures tell us repeatedly not to trust in men. And yet we're told here to trust in Messiah. Starting in the very first verse we looked at in Psalms 2. Blessed are all those who trust in him. And here again in Isaiah 8, we're told to trust in him. Behold, I and the children which God has given me, and they shall be be for signs and wonders in the house of Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. And then, and then he quotes in, in verse 16, he quotes from Isaiah 41. But thou, Israel, art my servant Jacob, and he whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, whom I have loved, whom I have taken hold of from the ends of the earth, and from the high places of it I have called thee, and said to thee, Thou art my servant. I have chosen thee, I will not forsake thee, fear not, for I am with thee. Wander not, for I am thy God, who hath strengthened thee, and have helped thee, and have established thee with my, with my just right hand. His seed of Abraham. This is the promised seed. This is the one promised all along. This is another title for Messiah, seed of Abraham. Are all, are all Israelites children of Abraham? Well, yes. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the seed. Isaac was the seed, but Isaac wasn't the only seed. 
There was a promise being given. And the promise went beyond Isaac. And that's the point. Anybody get any other ones? Look over your, look over your, uh, out, your uh, homework real quick and see if you have any titles that we didn't talk about. Which one? Adonites have a hope. Where was that? Excellent. Ooh, yes, I missed that. That's exactly right. It is there. He does say that. Reminds you of Havdalah. Adonites have a hope. Lord of hosts. I did. I did. He is the apostle. The apostle, the sent one. And he is the um, co of our the high priest of our, of our confession. And what is our confession? We say Yeshua, which is faith. Exactly. Excellent. <laughs> exactly. Um, and through two, he is the faithful God um, who appointed him. I mean, he himself appointed himself. himself. This, is, this, this reminds me of Ezekiel where he finally says, these shepherds that I sent the shepherd, you are doing such a terrible job. I myself am going to have That's to good. come and be the shepherd. That's right. Um, he is um, um, worthy of glory. He's the builder of the house. Builder of the house. And, and actually, and that was the reason I gave you that is I wanted you to draw into that as verses. See, we would usually say he's the house. Moses was the builder. He's the house. He turns it on its head. It's actually, it's, it is more powerful the way that he said it. Much more powerful. He is the builder of the house. He's also in 360, named Mashiach, but he's also the faithful. The faith, and that draws me to, uh, I think of Revelation 11, uh, where he's called faithful and true. Yeah. And he is all uh, house. He's the house. Exactly. He is all in all. But that's not easy. It's just, when you go through this, it's just so overwhelming. It's pretty cool. It really is. I, it, it, Hebrews 1, I've always enjoyed Hebrews 1 anyway. I've always had. But it wasn't until I started doing the cross-references that it becomes an overwhelming exercise. It is a, it's a powerful statement, which is what our writer was trying to do. He, want, he wanted us, he wanted his readers, he wanted all those that read it, that understood what he was drawing from to make the conclusions that we made. So that when he moves on, we get into, we get into, we get into uh, uh, further on, he's already made the statement. He's more than simply flesh and blood. But he had to be flesh and blood. Because he has to represent us. And that's the reason why at the end of chapter, I think it's the end of chapter 2, he brings that in. In two fourteen, he's the perfect person in shared flesh and blood. So, so lest we, so lest we get to place him, you know, he's he's brought him his humanity forward again, and he's going to go through that, and we're going to touch on it briefly. We're not going to really get into it for a number of weeks, but he's going to touch on this humanity briefly. He's going to skip through it. He keeps bringing this high priest thing up, and he's going to repeatedly bring the high priest thing up because in relationship to what he does in two fourteen. How it is that he is like us in some way. Which is a far more difficult concept for them reading this than we accept it as. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. It's a far... We have brought God so far down to our level. This is not a difficult leap for us. It's very sad because that's not the way it should be. 
he should be revered and regarded so much higher than we do that we do in practice I'm not saying we don't we don't acknowledge but we do in practice that it should be a difficult concept for us to imagine we ought to be overwhelmed with the idea of God coming in human flesh all those people that we looked at in those chapters in Acts that came to faith immediately quickly after Shavuot yes they got it they got it they, and they didn't have a problem with no. And it wasn't, it wasn't merely because it was a theological concept that they somehow supernaturally able to accept. Although they did. Don't misunderstand. They did. But it says when, when the veil, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, when the veil is removed, they see it. That's it. He's, he's the Lord. It's not so much that as it is the idea uh, in, in, at, at that moment that it was the, just the perfect timing. And they were prepared in such a perfect way that all they had to do was hear it. And God lifted the veil from their face. And it was... Obvious. He's the one. He fits perfect. Excuse me, fits perfect. Any, any final comments before we close? It's also interesting getting back to the point that you see throughout all of Hebrews. Um, one thing that kept coming back to me, and it isn't your title, this is really, but he is a, he is a judging king. Yes. Um, which goes back to Hebrews 2, 1 through 3, it talks about that if the, if the angels, what they said, the disobedience had a just reference, how much more so, how will we escape? We, we, we skip that because we talked about that repeatedly, but Joshua has a very good point. Remember, this is not only meant as a great messianic statement that he's making in these two chapters, he's also trying to encourage them, by the way, if you're in the group, if you're in the group, He's going to avenge you. Don't worry. You may be treated poorly by various groups. Don't worry. God's, God, God keeps account. But he's also giving them a warning, an encouragement, but it's a warning as well to say, listen, you can't, you don't want to be on the wrong side of this. Were, these, were, these, were, there any, were there any of these passages that looked like if you were on the wrong side, it would be okay? What we, what, we, what we observe is, in fact, a very profound understanding that when you read Revelation chapter 19, you, are, you, are, you can connect with this. That this is the way, that the, this is the, way the history of, of the nations of the world end. Badly. Right? Now, there are theologies that don't like that. You know, somehow we'll just all kind of work our way into righteousness and, you know, I mean, well, with God's help, we'll, all, we'll, we'll work it all out and, you know, and it'll be glorious. That'll all be fine and well, except Scripture speech, it speak, it speaks the opposite. And if you're going to believe, believe in Messiah in a powerful way, in a biblical way, you're going to see the end, of the, the end of the nations and it's a bad ending. It's a very bad ending. And the only hope for us is if we're on the right side. If we're not counted among the nations. If we're on his side. Because he will be the avenging king. And he will avenge those who are his family. That's the key. We want to be in his family. Let's close in prayer. Our Father, I thank you for uh, the time we spent together. I thank you for the work of Messiah. It was a work that was certainly... Uh, one that was uh, merciful and grace and grace filled towards us and was of infinite benefit to us 
And yet we would be remiss if we constantly just looked at the great things that you did and thank you for those without acknowledging that you alone, all by yourself, with no, with no action on our part, are still great and mighty and powerful. And we bow to you not because only of what you have done for us. We bow to you because you are the great and almighty God. And you alone are worthy to be praised and honored and worshipped. We thank you for the work that you have done on our behalf. We thank you that you, being infinite, found a way to come in humility and express yourself in finiteness as a man. And that as Yeshua, you remain forever man. We thank you for this and we ask that you might bless us this week. And in this time of thanksgiving, that we might give thanksgiving to you for all that you have done for us. We pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. Don't forget, we skip a week. We'll be back here December 4th for Lesson 7.